Hello, and welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Future Frognet, a not-for-profit organization focused on keeping our waters safe, clean, and protected. This podcasting event focuses on five university students and their attempts to create environmentally conscious products that alleviate some of the problems caused by modern society. Today's episode is the first of three short installments releasing all week to highlight different products that all have one thing in common. Kel, let's get into it. Thank you again for joining us today. I'm really excited about what we're going to do here. It's entitled The Blue Economy Business Pitches. And I had a chance recently to judge a competition across the state of Connecticut with uh, multiple colleges and universities and was very impressed with Southern Connecticut State University's students and uh, the pitches that they uh, presented in elevator pitches. And today they're going to have an opportunity to talk in more, a little more detail. So I'm patterning this a little bit after uh, Shark Tank on television and calling it Welcome to the Frog Tank, everyone. And uh, today we have the pleasure of having five Southern Connecticut State University students. Southern is based in New Haven, Connecticut. These are not only science students, but they're also budding blue economy entrepreneurs. We have Larissa, Daniel, Heather, Derek, and Louie. And we're going to go through their presentations in that order by their last name. So their business ideas and the businesses that they are working to develop now all use kelp, a form of seaweed that actually grows here on Long Island Sound, and it's a growing industry here. So it's, it, I think you'll be quite interested to see the variety and the imagination that they've uh, done. And with that, I'd like to start it, and uh, let's go over to Larissa. Thank you all for listening. Um, recently, we took an environmental kelp innovation class with Dr. Heidkamp at Southern here in Connecticut. And for our term project, he had asked us to individually come up with different uses for kelp, develop a product that could help grow the blue economy um, here in Long Island Sound. So I got to thinking, and for years before I went back to school, I worked as a medical assistant in the field of obstetrics and gynecology, and I recall the use of laminaria. Um, which is actually a type of compressed kelp that is used for the dilation of the cervix and induction of labor for pregnant women. So it has fantastic absorbent properties and is proven safe for vaginal use. So it brought me to the idea of designing a kelp-enriched tampon. So upon my research, it was pretty cool. I found out that in the U.S. alone, at least one-third of women rely on tampon use during their menstrual cycles. And most of the common brands found on the market today contain many harmful chemicals and synthetic fibers that can take way longer than a lifetime to decompose. So my kelp tampon is 100% biodegradable and is composed of only two simple ingredients, which are organic cotton and kelp. And this environmentally friendly option um, will offer women a convenient, flushable option to reduce waste without the harmful additives that are found in tampons on the market today. So relying on similar properties that um, you know we'd be able to find in these medical-based laminaria sticks. The sugar kelp is able to provide an all-natural ingredient with uh, many eco-friendly benefits, making it a very unique product. And I had researched that with studies, studies are predicting a 7% annual growth increase in the natural and organic feminine care market. And this kelpon will provide an option to suit health-conscious women while avoiding dyes, fragrances, and harmful bleach. This is also for consumers that are looking for a more sustainable product. So I actually did um, kind of get a little nutty and I went on Amazon, ordered some sugar kelp and got some organic cotton, 
Um, I looked at some things online, I boiled it, and I found a little concoction, blended it, strained it, and then I actually made a mold and did make a, um, a kelp tampon. Now, whether or not it will truly work or not is another thing, but I, I was able to do it and it did absorb quite a bit of water. So I thought it was a pretty good start. So I hope to see where it goes. And that's basically what I have so far. Thank you. So I'd invite the panel to uh, ask any questions. Uh, just feel free to jump in. There's no particular order. Uh, I guess I'll start. Larissa, let's pretend that your, your product is on the market and somebody's walking through a grocery store or CVS, and yours, I assume, is going to be in a box, right? Correct. So what will the part of the box that's facing the person walking down the aisle say? I would call it Kelpon, and then probably Kelp-enriched Tampon. I'm at the very preliminary stages, so we haven't gotten into a design yet. I have thought about it kind of maybe design it with, um, you know, ocean friendly colors of some aquamarines, blues, and some pieces of kelp as well. Okay. Yeah. Good. What we're getting at is sort of what is the value proposition? Sort of why should somebody care, right? And you want to get that down to something that people will get in just a few words. That's why right. I'm telling you, and it's a very skinny series, like, you know, a box about yay big, and that's all they can see. So it's right. not just about the colors and stuff. The words that you chose were interesting. Say that again. Is what? I'm sorry. How did you describe it in words? So it's it's a um, it's a biodegradable tampon with a flushable option, which a lot which a lot are not. Flushable they, makes they a big are, difference. Yeah. yeah. Over a lifetime to decompose regular tampons, and they also create a huge biohazard risk because women are yeah. having to you know try to find a disposal. You're in a public restroom. You're anywhere. You don't have a hand sanitizer in that bathroom stall with you. You're making a mess. So it's, it's to be able to be flushable would be fantastic. I don't know what would be approved as flushable, like the percentage of kelp over cotton that would need to be used. But that's something that hopefully in the fall semester, I believe that we'll be trying to get this to fruition and start moving forward. So I, I would be interested to see what I could come up with to make it flushable. Yeah, when you talk about flushable, you're also going to have to deal with septic. There are plenty of people out there that are, have septic systems, so it definitely needs yeah. to biodegrade properly without killing things. <laughs> That's pretty great. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Jeff, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, great idea. Uh, no doubt. I, I think you need to think about how you can make this a business. Yeah. All right? Uh, because any business has got to be uh, sustaining. Uh, so or self-sustaining. So you need to think about what the, as Dr. Huntley said, what, what's the what's the value proposition? What kind of uh, uh, of how you could scale it, so to speak? Who are you who are you going to sell it to? Not in terms of individuals, but you know you got to think about channels. Who will distribute this for you where where it won't yeah. cost you much? And right. beyond that, I think you need to think about sponsors. Okay. Okay. Versus investors. A sponsor could be an investor too. You never know. But uh, who would sponsor this? Who would think it's such a good idea that they're going to say, hey, we'll, we'll give you a grant. Right. So here's $10,000 and you can go anywhere you want with it. Right, right. Uh, and it won't cost you any ownership or any, no, no strings attached, so to speak. All right. Right. So, yeah, I, I, it's certainly an idea worthwhile pursuing, but at present it's, and you've done a little work, you made, you made your own uh, uh, prototype, so to speak. Uh, but uh, look, if you're going to get uh, folks interested, you got to understand. Right. You okay. got to you, you got to establish this as a business more than as much as an idea. Okay. All right. Can 
So, so as the techie in the group who knows less than nothing about consumer packaged goods, okay, uh, my, I have like three questions and I think it's a wonderful idea if it works. Number one, what's it cost to make it? Because in a business like that, feeders don't do you any good if, you're, if people have to pay for it. All right. If they can get something at the same price and it's better, they'll buy it. But cost and price matter. Second, I'd love to get some verification on a clinical level that, that this is as good as you claim. And third, I think if it is, all right, so now I'm, I never saw a glass that wasn't half full. I think that there's a huge opportunity outside the U.S. Yeah. for feminine hygiene and health in parts of the world where it isn't currently available. And having something that can be biodegradable in an environment where people don't have running water and sewers, somebody like the Gates Foundation can be very excited if it actually does what you want it to do. That's my thinking. Wow. But first, first, I'm a product guy. You got you, you to prove to me that you can make it, that it does what you want it to do, that it has no harmful side effects, and it isn't extraordinarily more expensive than competitive products that aren't as good. Right. So, Larissa, if you had to pick your first uh, vendors, you know, if you, a, a store or something where people would buy this, what would be the first, first outfit you would approach? Where would you want this to sell first? Who's your retailer? So, I actually have thought of a few friends. It would be a very small, to say, mom and pop type shop on the shore. Um, a friend of mine owns a boutique and sells things like that. So I would probably go to her and she has a few sister stores in New Haven. So I was right. thinking that would kind of get the word out. I've spoken to some friends about it. They were really interested, my sisters. So a lot of people keep asking me, have you done anything else with it? We're really interested. We'll definitely try it. So I feel like to start with a smaller might work for me and then word of mouth and just recognition might be good and customer validation might come with that. Yeah, so the big thing is you want to get feedback to make sure that it is actually doing what you promised. That's what he was telling you. And the best way to do that is to talk to real customers. So you probably don't want to start with Whole Foods. Start with somebody small, like you're saying, where you could actually go to the shop and when somebody pulls your thing off the shelf, try not to stalk them too much, <laughs> but do try to get some data from them. If you can get some real customer validation like that, then you can start going to others. Like they were saying, go to the Gates Foundation or somebody like that. We'll say, hey, look, we hear 200 people that have tried it. Uh, here, here's what they said, basically testimonial kind of thing. Um, maybe you can get some money to pay for the testing. That would be the probably where somebody like the Gates Foundation would really come in. If you have to get it somehow approved by the FDA or something, I don't think you do. But if you did, you'd want to get somebody else to pay for that if you can. Right. Okay. It's going to take some data. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> you guys have had so many amazing things and suggestions, and it's great to hear this. So what does it cost again to make one of these? So again, in the very preliminary stages of this, we all hypothetically had to come up with numbers and research and go yeah. through. But um, what I have in my business proposal that I submitted for my term project to Dr. Heidkamp is that it would cost 10, 10 cents per tampon to make. And I could sell for about 90 cents to a dollar each. So the profit margin, if it works out, would be, I, I'm not a business person, but I do watch Shark Tank. So I think it might be okay if it works out. 
I don't know what the overhead would be. Again, everything was a little hypothetical. So it was how much would a facility cost? You know, an auger, I'd need a drying rack, I'd need employees, I'd need an attorney, I'd need a lot of people to pay. So I can see how overhead kind of gets very expensive and grants and funding can go quickly. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know, I'm just thinking here, you know, if you can find a health organization that can sponsor this and help you distribute it, what you, what you want to do is, is create and patent whatever your design is, whatever the materials are, if that's possible. Uh, then you can go to somebody who can make it and distribute it for you. If you have profit motive, I, I hope you do. All you need to do then is collect checks from the mailbox from sales. And you can go on to the next great idea instead of, instead of running this thing because there's, there's already sources for like products and manufacturing and so forth. And, you know, I'll give you a quick one, which was uh, intermittent windshield wipers. Somebody had that great idea, but they didn't decide to manufacture cards to uh, get the device in or automobiles to get the device into the market. Okay. Think about, I call it a horse to ride. While you're doing all the rest of this, keep an eye out for somebody who may want to uh, partner with you, so to speak. Right. Okay. So you're probably getting more, more, we, uh, we, more we, advice than you really wanted here. But another <laughs> thought, and I know nothing, again, back to knowing nothing about the economics, but back to the underserved world health, all those things. I'll bet the cost to ship this stuff, if you produce it in the U.S., is probably comparable to the cost to produce it. And if you've got something that can be produced locally with locally sourced materials that's safe, effective, cheap, and biodegradable in parts of the world where there's nothing else, that could really be something. Wow. Okay, so uh, Larissa, great job. Uh, panelists, thank you so much. We've got a lot of great, great ideas there, but we need to move on. So uh, next up in the tank is Daniel Andrian. And Daniel's a sophomore at Southern. He's majoring in environmental systems and sustainability and uh, with a concentration in coastal marine systems. Daniel has a unique attachment to the ocean and a blue way to make some green. So turn it over to you, Daniel. Thanks, Richard. So like Larissa said, I was also part of that class with Dr. Heidkamp that involved coming up with blue innovations to capitalize or make a market of the um, Connecticut kelp industry. So my idea was Deep Blue Chew, which is a vegan kelp chewing gum made from sugar kelp that is farmed off the coast of Connecticut and Long Island Sound. Chewing gum is traditionally made from chicle, which comes from the rubber tree in Central America, or from polyisobutylene, which is a synthetic. Those are both not sustainable options, especially um, as their resources coming in from outside the country. So using carrageenan, which is a natural coagulant found in sugar kelp, we can manufacture a chewing gum using only local resources. This would also make it biodegradable since there's no synthetics involved or rubber from the rubber tree. That's not always 100% biodegradable. Um, this product would support the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals to conduct responsible consumption and production as well as uh, create industry innovation. Using local grown sugar kelp will provide uh, market development opportunities for the emerging Connecticut kelp industry. And the target market of this product would be the over 164 million people who chewed gum in the United States alone last year, um, which is a, a pretty big target market. It would also focus on the low has, 
market, which is the lifestyle of health, fitness, and sustainability. They make up 21% of the adult consumer market in the United States. So that would also be a target market of this product. And consumers are emerging and becoming more interested in sustainable purchase options, such as this kelp uh, gum idea. And I think this would be a huge draw from uh, consumers like that to purchase. So I believe it is a, a huge innovation for the blue economy that is coming out of this Connecticut kelp industry. So again, how do you sell people on kelp or chewing gum? Why do they do that instead of the other kind of chewing gum? Wrigley's. Wrigley's. Why, why kelp? Because it's a more sustainable chewing or more sustainable option that is also biodegradable and vegan. A lot of the, the chewing gums that are out there now, not all, but a lot of them include gelatin, which is actually comes from an animal somewhere in the, in the animals that required for uh, coagulation. It's pig fat. Pig fat. Okay. Removing that from the equation opens up a, a lot bigger market to those who want to chew gum. I essentially would like to start it in, you know, local health food stores where it's kind of like the hipster vibe because it, it is an odd product and something that you don't normally hear of, but it's something that is more earth friendly and focused on the environment that um, people who look for products such as that will focus on and want to purchase. That seems like a more viable market to me. Start with that. If it, if it turns out that it actually tastes good and has other benefits, yeah. but start with people who care about that. Our friend uh, Bob Dorf, who's talked to us a lot about this stuff, says you want to find 20 people who are dying for your product. If you can do that, you'll find the rest of the market, right? So find the 20 people who are so vegan that, you know, they're just, they won't even chew uh, chewing gum as it is now. Th that's your market. Start with that and find out what it is that makes them care about it so much and cater to that. Yeah, I didn't intend to start as a competition in like grocery stores or anything like that. <laughs> Um, just start by getting awareness out, you know, cool, fancy packaging obviously yeah. helps, but getting it in those stores that already have other ideas that are kind of out there or different, mm -hmm. and that just builds awareness. And I think that's the best way to start making it a name for what I want to make. I'm not sure I would even start in a store. I might start in farmer's markets, for example. Yeah, that that's a great idea. Also, I was thinking like, you know, Guilford Health Food, there's only like two stores, you know, yep. small things like that. Nothing like Whole Foods or big chain markets, yeah. small, small health food stores, maybe like farmer's markets, like you suggested, like, you know, yeah. at the Durham Fair, things like that. Um, the big E. I yeah, don't know. Big e. <laughs> you know, here, here's a model for you. Uh, have you heard of Burt's Bees? Have you heard of yes. uh, Times, Times of Maine? Yep. Have you heard of this and that and all these PCB you know, infused uh, products, mm -hmm. you, you can look at them as a model because they all started at farm stands. Yeah. Okay. And, and another thing here, if you were coming to me asking me for money, I want to know from you, I'd say gum. Oh, okay. Sounds like a good idea. But I, I want to know the five, tell me the five main reasons people chew gum. Why do people chew gum? Okay. If they chew gum, it must solve some sort of problem for them. Yeah. Okay. And maybe it's uh, halitosis. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I don't know, but you're going to have to explain why people chew gum so that when you show up with this product, 
you can say to this retailer, do you realize how many of your customers chew gum? No, no, I don't. Well, can you tell me, do you, do you know why they're chewing gum? And that's how you launch this discussion because then it becomes interesting. All right, you know, tell me more. But you're going to have to do, this is Bob Dorf again. You're going to have to do your research. You're going to have to come up with top five reasons or the top five problems that your gum's going to solve. And it could be taste. I don't know, I don't know what. But you're going to have to do it more better. All right? Because, you know, sustainability, that's nice. But uh, look, at the, if, if that doesn't solve the problem or the reason or address the reason why people chew gum, they're not going to buy your stuff. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. There are other things that it does that I did not mention, but I see what you're saying. Like figure out the reasons why it's a, a target market or why. Yeah, I mean, why do I have a, a latent want to chew gum? I don't know. But if you could find that and market it, I could become a gum chewer. Yeah. You know, make it all natural. Grind up coca leaves and cannabis while you're at it. Add it to the kelp. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all natural. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I think it's I think it's a great idea. For me, the most important thing is it's got to taste good. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know? I think that's one of the reasons people chew gum is to have something to do and to have something that tastes good. But yeah. the hell do I know? Yeah. But I think I think at its core, your motivation of displacing useless and maybe even dangerous chemicals with naturally derived stuff is a very good idea. Yeah. Have Have you got a pack of Wrigley's there, Daniel? Uh, not with me. Have you have you looked at a pack of gum to see what the ingredients are? Yeah, they're not not very good. Polyvinyl fornicate. Here yeah. here you go. And then you can you say sell it to movie go, theaters as nonstick gum. It'll fall off the seats when people stick it underneath. Yeah. Or only from the finest pigs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But that's what it is. The animal fat is mostly pig fat. Yeah. Okay. Great great job, Daniel and uh, panelists. Thank you so much. One more quick thing. We actually have some experts in food. So if you go a little bit further along like this and you want to loop back, you're welcome to do that. Okay. Thank you. More developed. You need a food expert. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Blue Earth Podcast. You can find us on social media at Future Frogmen or at our website at futurefrogmen.org. There's going to be two more episodes in the same vein that explore different products by different university students. So please feel free to check in on Wednesday and on Friday for more. Thanks.